Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tech Talk. It's a good Monday morning, fine Monday morning here in New York City. And we are once again proud to be sponsored by Adorama Camera, Adorama.com. More than just a camera store, please make Adorama the your source, the source for your electronics needs of all kinds. And really a fantastic website. So just... I can't urge you enough to go see Adorama. We're here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM and the AM.org. I'm your host, Michael Fragan. David is here with me in the control booth. And we're going to kick our show off with a live conversation from Israel. And we're very lucky and fortunate to have Josh Mitnick with us. And Josh Mitnick is a freelance journalist who writes for the Wall Street Journal, the Christian Science Monitor, as well as a regular correspondent for the New York Jewish Week. He covers Israel and the Palestinian territories. Welcome, Josh, to Tech Talk. Hi, how you doing? Good to be with you. Okay, great. So uh, I think generally your beat is a little bit on the political side, uh, but uh, as we know, and we try and focus on this show, on the world of technology, business, innovation, both here uh in the U.S. here in the States, but also with a particular focus on Israel. And uh, lately you've been covering a little bit on the technology economy in Israel. So uh, give us a little background on yourself, what you talk, what you write about, and you know, some of the things you see going on in Israel these days. Sure. Well, um, actually, um, uh, my background is when I have my first uh, Bloomberg News, um, and I was with Bloomberg during the 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 dot com boom and what i sort of feel like is like the first golden age of israeli high tech and that was in the late 90s after um america online bought a company called icq and that was um became um the instant messaging the chat sessions that america online uh integrated and that created a huge buzz about um israeli Tech sort of put Israeli tech on the map. Right, I remember um, that one. I mean, that was uh, ICQ was kind of revolutionary. You could see somebody typing to you at the same time. It was all real time messaging, which uh, of course led to the ubiquity and popularity of a- of AIM, AOL instant exactly. messaging, and mm-hmm. and the like. And we've kind of gone on from there. So it's amazing how these things come about. We don't even remember those old days. Right. Um, what I do remember, though, very well is sort of the, the you know, the uh, the dot-com boom and, um, and uh, you know, the expectations for, you know, huge, you know, immediate huge uh, profits and revenues from, um, you know, 3G telecom and, uh, you know, it... Uh, Back in 2000, and I remember the you know the the, the bubble, the bust, um, and uh, that sort of really sort of uh, defined um, you know my reporting um, for Bloomberg. I went out to San Francisco, saw all the Israeli companies that moved 
their their marketing offices uh, into the U.S. and sort of had uh, you know a two two headed operation: the R&D in Israel and uh, the the marketing efforts in the states. And to a large degree, that sort of um, that sort of continued. Um, and then for the last uh, 10 years, I've been focusing, after leaving Bloomberg, I've focused mostly on politics. However, in the last couple of months, um, I think because of the, um, the Waze acquisition, um, referring to um, Google's uh, acquisition of an Israeli-made uh, uh, mobile application called Waze, which is hugely popular because it helps people uh navigate through traffic um for and that Google bought that for one billion dollars uh about um that helped that created a huge buzz if there wasn't enough buzz already about Israeli tech after you know the publication of startup nation which really sort of uh branded did the best effort at uh, or, or the best was the was the one book that sort of branded everything um branded Israel um as a startup nation this this uh, acquisition of ways by Google really really turned things up to a fever pitch and now it really seems that um hello yeah we're here Okay, sorry, I heard some clicking. I thought the line went. Uh, so yeah, so things are sort of really at a fever pitch uh, in Israel after the Waze acquisition. Um, I think though it's not it's not um, as, as uh, impressive as that was. It's not. Uh, it's actually very much in line um, uh, with what's going on in the states. I'm reading, uh, seeing a, a piece today. Uh, a video piece that the the journal did, did about um, very heady times in in Silicon Valley ahead of the, uh, the 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 IPO of Twitter and people are you know very excited about the prospects for uh, social media and a lot of people wondering whether we're headed for another bubble and um, and so the situation in Israel is that you have a lot of foreign investors a lot of venture capital companies. Um, in inquiring you have pretty much um pretty much most uh leading multinational um tech companies have uh, have R&D operations in Israel and they're sort of use those as a base to sort of keep track of uh, the startups in Israel that they're that they might uh that might be useful for their businesses so uh and 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 last year I think or 2 years ago I think uh, a research group um Named Tel Aviv as the second most uh, developed startup ecosystem outside of Silicon Valley, so so the uh, it's really the buzz about Tel Aviv is is really immense. So is the hypothesis there that just when things look incredible, they look awesome when prices are high, that's the time to be concerned? Um, I don't know if that's a hypothesis, but it definitely, you know, bears keeping in mind. Um, and, um, you know, not to forget, uh, not forget, uh, you know, the need for valuations can go up, they can also go down. The, the revenue potential, and, you know, it's not only here, it's in it's in the states too as well sure. and i think i don't think that israel is that disconnected from you know or israel is not disconnected israel is very much sort of linked to what's going on in 
in uh, in the U.S. as far as valuations. Well, just uh, thinking about the journal piece from this morning with regard, I think it was with, specifically with regard to Twitter's IPO, and mm-hmm. kind of we're back at IPOs of pre-revenue companies uh, that are just kind of being valued for mm-hmm. eyeballs mm-hmm. or users or these metrics mm-hmm. that really can't mm-hmm. can't be go mm-hmm. can't go ahead and be. Um, uh, measured well from valuation. How do you value a stock? I mean, that was always, you know, that was always the big question out there uh, during the bubble. But one thing that's interesting, I think, with regard to Israel, I wonder if you could comment on this, is is how a lot of these Israeli companies used to be or have been for so long, there are so many of them still, have, have not really been consumer-facing and ways – kind of particularly interesting because it is one of those consumer-facing apps, and there's so many of these apps out there. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of Israeli companies that have particularly achieved really lofty status have been so much about, like, the checkpoints of the world, where have been, you know, kind of things that nobody ever sees, but they're so important for technology and the world of the Internet. And that's been a yeah, little bit of a difference. That's that's correct. Uh, however, in the I think... What I learned when when Waze when you know after Waze was acquired though uh, after after sort of not following tech for for so long I realized that Waze was only one of uh, many uh, Israeli startups that um, that thanks to uh, I guess mobile the focus on mobile apps and thanks to uh, uh, the ability to really sort of hone one's marketing over the internet. Um, there you have many more Israeli um, startups now focusing on consumer, um, focusing on those applic- you know focusing on applications that you're liable to download from from uh, the the uh, the Apple Store and the the you know the and you know the Android Play Store, um, which something which as you said you didn't have um, uh, ten years ago during the first during the first. Uh, during the first uh, boom, despite the fact that it, the, the one, the one, the, it was ICQ, which was a, which was a consumer, uh, it was, it was, it was geared for consumers. That was a bit of a, of an exception. Um, actually, you know, the fact that the most, there are a lot of Israeli uh, startups out there now are focused on that consumer space. By the way, though, I was speaking to one um, of let's say um i don't know how i would call him an evangelist um a a marketing guy who uh, meets with lots of early startups and um and 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 sings their praises to you know media and uh, and to uh people on his blog he claimed to me he claimed that um there's already been a shift that um that many israeli uh startups these days are sort of a con- come past the consumer Focus and more focusing on the business to business and focusing on how to how to uh, quote unquote monetize um, their their business. That said, I uh, a couple of weeks back I spoke to a um, a uh, CEO of a, of a of a consumer app startup. I don't want to I don't want to mention who it was because it was sort of an off the record comment, but um, it was a you know a viral a viral app. For messaging, 
And um, you know, I asked him what's what's your plan for monetization, and uh, didn't he didn't really lay out a very clear, you know, very clear path um, uh, or plan to monetization, which I thought to me, which struck me as um, as uh, telling. We'll just build a really good product or a really good application, and people will come, and eventually we'll figure out how to make money. Exactly. 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 Now. Israel has, uh, just go back, refer to Startup Nation a little bit. There has been this very beneficial symbiotic relationship between the government and the technology sector, not necessarily in in the form of very formal uh, outright support, because I think the tech industry has kind of grown up on its own, but vis-a-vis the IDF and other institutions of, of the government have really spawned a lot of Israeli startups. Won't that relationship continue to benefit uh, the tech sector? Well, there's, yeah, there's no question that uh, the IDF is um, really the um, the training ground for a lot of uh, for a lot of the the young sort of crack programmers, and they take the uh, take the technology that they. Uh, they work on in the army and they find civilian applications to it and that's been going on for i guess nearly two decades um you mentioned checkpoint which is which makes uh, the internet firewall and that came out that came out of a from um a um his name is Gil Schwed and he served in the now famous uh Army intelligence unit called 8200, and the, and um, the, that information security is, came came out of the army. Now, what they're talking about these days is they're talking about um, um, uh, cyber security and cyber defense, cyber defense, and they're talking about um, you know um, veterans of these units coming out and setting up uh, startups for uh, for cyber defenses. Um, that said, I, 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 um, there's, there's, um, a series being published now in, uh, the business section of Haaretz suggesting that beyond the IDF, that the government, um, needs to, um, needs to exert more of a, more of a guiding hand in, um, in, uh, regarding its investments in the high-tech sector, um, um, it, it pointed out that actual um, investment of uh, by the government in uh, the R&D uh, infrastructure or the R&D sector in Israel has, has actually dropped over the last decade. Um, and um, I think there's concern that there, you know, they need that the government needs to be identifying other other um, areas of high tech that uh, that could be uh, you know better developed. Um, this is a series um, in uh, by the uh, by the tech reporters in Haaretz. Talk for a second about Tel Aviv being the great this great place, this mecca for startups, uh, being a great place to to go ahead and start a company, entrepreneurs, and to do business. Uh, I guess that they're they're building broadband out throughout the city, and there's this encouragement of startups. But what what are they doing beyond that to make it uh, the number two city? Um, well, I think that uh, well, the one thing I should point out is that it wasn't always like that, and it sort of 
you know, I sort of, um, it sort of, I feel like it sort of happened right under my nose because um, while I was covering politics, because back in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, the, the, you'd have to, the, the, the main uh, concentration of high-tech firms were in the office parks um, uh, on the northern... Right, the technology uh, zones. Yeah, the office parks. Or industrial zones, parks. industrial you know, areas. Sorry? The industrial areas, the industrial zones, and they, they create these office parks. Herzliya yes, and... and Herzliya, exactly. Now, a lot of the, the startups have shifted or started setting up shop in the city. And... Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily because of anything that the municipality has done. I think it's, from my understanding of it, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's, uh, it's a result of uh, the fact that more and more tech uh, uh, startups, the you know, the emphasis on uh, uh, the consumers and, and, and mobile, the mobile experience, and the conversion of com, uh, the, con, uh, the uh, uh, the coming together of tech and media and culture is more given uh, um, attracts people who want to be in the city, who want to live close to their jobs, and not want they don't want to have to commute. And they and um, and it attracts sort of a, a more artsy sort of programmer who who can you know be who likes to work late. And uh, after that, um, basically get something to eat and then go to the bar or go go hear music or go to an art uh, go to an art show. Um, and I think that sort of was an organic process. Um, and what what makes Tel Aviv um, uh, attractive in that sense is that it's uh, it's a relatively small city, so um, um, everything is in sort of close. Everything is in close uh, close reach. Uh, the city center doesn't uh, is is um, is is not a ghost town at night. Um, the the city now is trying to is trying to really take this and run with it. Um, it's set up a it's set up a um, a sort of um, not an incubator but sort of a workspace for entrepreneurs and uh, a, a public. Uh, a public library in the center of the city, um, and it's also trying to push legislation um, uh, with the government to um, uh, allow give visas for uh, foreign entrepreneurs that w- are interested in coming to Tel Aviv into the ecosystem that's supposedly ranked number two in the world and and set up a, a startup here. They they want to they want to draw foreign talent and make it. Uh, a true sort of international uh, tech scene. Where, when you when you talk about the uh, the influence of tech, and uh, as you see as you see it as an, uh, a foreign correspondent or a representative of foreign uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, publications, looking at the looking at the Israeli economy, uh, how, how however present is is the tech scene uh, with regard to with regard to the Israeli economy uh, obviously tech can can mean so many things there's also agritech and there's energy technology that Israel has led in many areas uh, but 
it, it seems to be a lot of these companies that we've that we've talked about beforehand, as you mentioned, some of these big ones like Checkpoint and ICQ and Waze and the like seem to capture a lot of the mindshare uh, with regards when you think about Israel and tech. How, how how much is that? How much is that true on the ground versus the perception that we might have over here in the U.S.? Well, it's interesting. Well, there's uh, there's no doubt uh, on one on one level, um, you know, becoming a uh, like a startup a startup uh, entrepreneur, a successful startup entrepreneur, has captured the imagination of Israelis, and it's sort of almost set the sort of the new standard of success here. Um, a couple of years back, there was a knockoff of the um, of the uh, of the U.S comedy series Entourage. Uh, the Israeli version of Entourage was, you know, about the couple of young guys in their 20s being set was uh, the, instead of, um, you know, an actor in his entourage, it was three um, startup, uh, successful startup entrepreneurs um, who have sold their company and are now sort of, sort of set for life. Um, you have, you have, um, uh, successful uh, startup or venture capitalists who have now um, taken successful careers and parlayed that into political careers. Uh, um, the, the probably the the best example is Israel's um, industry and trade minister Naftali Bennett sold a um, sold a, 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 a software company that he co-founded. Um, or the mayor of Jerusalem near Barkat. What the mayor of Jerusalem, right? He's probably actually he was the yeah, he was the first one. He led the way. Um, one of the prominent members of the Labor Party, his name is Ariel Margalit, and sure. he uh, is a, one of the most veteran uh, venture capitalists in Israel. He was one of the first set up one of the first venture ca- technology venture capital funds. It's one of the most successful, also Jerusalem Venture Partners. So. On a sort of a cultural level, there's no question that it's sort of a, and you know, it's sort of an ever-present. It's sort of like a new class of Israelis. That said, um, you would be. I, I was, I was uh, surprised at first to hear that um, the actual number of Israelis that are working directly working for these firms is actually relatively, relatively limited. Um, someone in Israeli. Startup entrepreneur estimated at 150,000, um, but I was reading in Haaretz that it's actually it's actually only 56,000, which sounds to me, you know, hard to believe. It's it's actually only uh, a very small uh, part of the workforce. Well, many of these companies can only have uh, a handful of employees. What? Many of these companies are not necessarily labor intensive. They don't necessarily have more than a handful of employees. That's true, um, but uh, you know, it, it but it, it puts things in perspective when we're talking about a startup nation. How um, how the actually you know it's a good sort of um, it's a good sort of uh, indication of actually the size of uh, the you know the the actual community that's working in this. Um, and there's you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, questioning about. Where where this is all headed, and whether this should, can be how, whether this can be expanded, um, whether these companies like Waze, which was sold to Google, 
um, should try to remain independent and go for an IPO. And there are new venture capital funds that are that have been that are setting up and saying that this is their saying that we're not looking for a quick exits. We're looking to grow. We're looking to um, instead of uh, start up, we're looking to scale up and create more checkpoints, which are worth uh, you know several billion dollars. They want to. Um, um, the new the, the the VC that I'm talking about now is called Aleph. Um, and and um, and there's also there's also a lot of talk about uh, integrating um, um, uh, parts of Israel's population, which could be part of this um, could be part of this workforce, um, and spreading it and um, uh, to the um, referring to the ultra orthodox and um, the Israeli Arabs. I was just actually sitting today with a uh a government um a government uh employee in the prime minister's office who's overseeing economic development in the uh in the arab sector and he said that uh that israel's uh, high tech companies by and large uh have um uh have not um have not integrated um uh, arab uh computer science or engineers into their companies and that only 2% of the workforce uh, of Israeli high-tech firms are Arab and that's going to be a challenge. I saw that they are building a new technology park up in uh, Nazareth, Nazareth, uh, Mm -hmm. specifically to focus on the Arab sector. And to, exactly. That's and exactly. That's one of the things that I'm referring to. That's what you're referring to. And also, I, I think I read, uh, I think a while back, but uh, that the Wertheimer family. Uh, when I was going to get to them for a second in the in a next question, but they have who sold Iskar to Warren Buffett, which is mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily what you think of necessarily as a tech company, but a very specialized uh, type of mm-hmm. company. Um, they've also been focused on bringing Arabs into the into the tech boom. So, open you know, that question. For That's you. true. Um, but however, the fact I, I think that the the, the Nazareth um, Technological Park opened this year, and it's still mostly empty, with the exception of the one major company that's there is a company called Amdocs. Um, it's an Israeli-American company with lots of R&D in Israel. It's a telecommunications company. But I was told today that um, the government is still in negotiations, in, in only initial phases of negotiations to get uh, the second and third big um, tenants of that uh, park lined up. One of, the, one of the companies that they mentioned was Teva, which is a pharmaceutical company, which is... Um, um, I obviously rise to a great degree on uh, pharmaceutical technology, but um, but is in the process of um, of uh, downsizing. Um, and the other company that was mentioned was uh, IBM, um, but still that those those um, those negotiations are um, uh, in their initial phases, and one can only wonder why uh, why you know. This, this this has been in the works for some time. Why why are the negotiations only in their initial phases? What's what is the what is 
the obstacle in the way of uh, the many, uh, Isra- you know, um, Israeli and foreign multinational uh, companies to set up shop in Nazareth. This is Tech Talk, and we're talking to Josh Mitnick, a correspondent for the Jewish Week, the Christian Science Monitor, the Wall Street Journal, on the ground in Israel, and talking about a concerns over a possible tech bubble. And you identified, or it's been identified, specifically around the recent awarding of the Nobel Prizes in chemistry to Israeli expats who are now at U.S. universities, talking about the brain drain something we've mentioned in a, on past shows. How much of a concern is that for Israeli innovation going forward? Um, this is a, this is a quite a, this is, touches a real sensitive spot among Israelis, and you could almost say that people have become, uh, when, that, when that prize was awarded and um, when those, when uh, those uh, uh, chemists, were named as the recipients, it sort of created a little minor hysteria here. Um, uh, I was, and I, was, my, I myself was, uh, the same day I was... Hysteria or euphoria? A, sort of a, senior, uh... a senior defense official who told me the, this, you know, this brain drain, um, you know, uh, of Israel's top research minds is, is, is a... Um, a, a, a war, more of a threat to Israel than uh, the Iranian bomb, and this was a senior uh, official. And uh, well, Israelis senior... aren't prone to exaggeration at all, right? Or no, that's. But it, it speaks to the sense that there that Israel is very sort of is very has come to see uh, high tech and its research prowess as an existential uh, uh, buttress to the to the state. And that if Israel's um, uh, research universities aren't able to attract the uh, you know the country's best minds, then um, you have uh, you have infrastructure. That means your your R and D infrastructure in the country is uh, is in regression, is is eroding, um, and there's there's. There's great concern about that, and a lot of people are talking about it. Um, and there was um, a, uh, a research piece of research put out by a Jerusalem institute called the Taub Institute, if I'm not uh, if I'm correct, which said which suggested that Israel's academic brain drain, the rate of um, the rate of Israeli, uh, I guess, degree holders, uh, research associates. Which are outside the country in the U.S. is the highest rate of any uh, Western uh, Western country, and part of that is there's a lot of criticism that the government has not invested in um, the the research and development and the uh, and the research universities in general. There hasn't been a new uh, university established in Israel. Uh, since the 1970s, and I'm saying that the, with the one exception is the Ariel, uh, the university in Ariel, um, which um, even though it was I, that was not, uh, it wasn't a sort of a that sort of um, I don't, it, you know that was a, a university which didn't seem to me like a a, um, a it sort of created itself and then got sort of retroactive uh, recognition by uh, by the government. 
it wasn't a. What do you mean by created a, itself? A strategic but... plan by the government to set up uh, to set up a you know oh. a, a new major research university. Um, that's sort of a that's sort of a digression. But the the the, the big picture is that it certainly seems that um, uh, and and uh, people in the government. Uh, Acknowledge this that over in the uh, from the finance ministry, I was talking to someone that uh, that over the last four decades there hasn't been the there this supporting the research and development infrastructure has not been a priority. They said that they've made a priority making higher education access um, uh, to as, as broad as possible. That's been the priority. That's how they explained. The, the drop in the uh, investments, but uh, people are you know this is this is in addition to the army, um, these universities are also a source of uh, a lot of um, you know a lot of uh, R and D know how. How is it then that they can continue to put out all these uh, successful or spawn all not just startups but I guess successful technology in so many sectors? As we mentioned, I think you know something. Possibly the areas that don't get talked about enough, but Israel is the leader in is agritech, as well as uh, clean water solutions. And now the energy uh, industry is coming with all this natural gas. I mean, Israel seems to be at the forefront of so many in so many areas. Yeah. Well, the I think the, the concern here is that what we're seeing today is really the uh, fruits of uh, investments. Uh, that were laid down in the 60s and the 70s, and the concern is going forward. That that what we're we're seeing the beginnings, the signs, uh, the the signals that going forward, Israel might not be able to keep up the same level of innovation that we've become accustomed to. Very interesting. Uh, we're talking to Josh Mitnick, correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, the Jewish Week, Christian Science Monitor, and who covers the Israeli scene in all aspects and has been uh, voicing some concern or giving voice to some concern, I should say, for with regard to uh, Israel may have reached a bubble in some of the some of his companies. Uh, just to follow up on one thing, and we're getting to we're getting to the last question for you is. You know, Warren Buffett, okay, he's made a second investment in Israel. And, uh, you know, his first one, as he mentioned, was in Iskar. And now we get to his second investment in Israel. Obviously, it's a vote of confidence. He is kind of regarded as the world's uh, top investor. Uh, where, what does that mean, you know, with regard to the Israel sector? Um, I think, well, I just want to, like, go back before I address that. I want to, I want to sort of make it clear or, let's say, clarify the idea, the notion of a bubble I think the you know the questions of a bubble are really are really uh, with regards to the entire tech industry, and so it's not only Israel. If the valuations are are are, are high, I don't think it's only here. It's it's in the United States, um, and and you know I describe people in my article suggesting there is. A bubble in the fact that there seems to be lots of startup, you know, every every corner, at at, a, at a, you know any given tech conference, you'll see, you know, everyone's got their idea for a new startup, um, and but actually there's a sense here that there isn't a bubble as far as um, as far as uh, funding is gone, uh, fund and especially uh, local funding for um, Israeli. Um, 
Israeli uh, startup. So I just want to sort of be clear that if there if there is talk of a bubble, it's not only in Israel; it's it's sure. you know, possibly in the United States. Um, and look, the tech the tech yeah. sector goes in boom and bust. There's no question that we that we've yeah. seen that before. So uh, mm-hmm. as right. far as the cycle, and Israel wouldn't be immune to that. Although they seem yeah. to have survived the global recession very very well. So to a certain degree, Israel has come out rel- uh, as opposed to the pain that's right. gone through the, the right. U.S. economy. Israel really didn't have that. Right, but that was something that wasn't connected to the Israel's tech sector. That correct, was a correct. function of Israel's real estate sector. Not being not being oversold like it was, and then not. Although some would argue in certain cities that it's quite oversold at this point. Um, I don't think that's the. the uh, some would argue people Housing are concerned about a real to... estate bubble here, but it's not about things being oversold because there's actually a lack of supply here. It's, um, it's yeah, yeah, correct. Of... Good, good points. Good points. Uh, so back to Warren Buffett for a second. Where does yeah. where does that uh, how do, how does that play in the Israeli firmament? Um, I think uh, you, well, Iskar is a is a more of a more of a. I mean, there's plenty of you know technology at work in Iskar, but I think people look at it and consider it more of sort of a a manuf, you know working in the sort of the heavy manufacturing they make. It's a, a tool and machinery a tool a tool company. Um, which is really one of the few truly multinational Israeli companies alongside Teva. And I think that the, 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 um, the takeaway or the real significance of that investment was Warren Buffett uh, doubling down, really, on his uh, sense that uh, Israel is a, is a stable, stable enough um, country to to make I think the largest investment I think outside one of the lar- one of the Berkshire Hathaway's largest investments outside of the uh, United States if I'm not mistaken so I think that that was really the um, the the real significance of a a someone an investor a celebrity investor considered rather conservative uh, with a big vote of confidence. That um, that um, it's safe enough to you know despite Israel's uh, location uh, in the Middle East, despite all the security question marks, that um, that that he believed that um, that it was stable enough here to to make such a significant investment and um, and you know he's not the only one. We you have you know um, I mean he I mean that's. Pretty much, I think the most significant, the largest uh, uh, investment. Uh, but I think you know you have Intel here, and uh, I think it was one of the largest uh, chip making companies here, and you know on down, you know, into IBM, into Google, into uh, Microsoft, and uh, you know all their research and R and D operations are here, and they're important operations. Yeah, I just uh, to quote Buffett, and I think it's a great quote. He said, "I'm not Jewish, but Israel reminds me of the United States after its birth. The determination, motivation, intelligence, and initiative of the people are remarkable and extraordinary. I'm a big believer of the Israelis, Israel's economy. I didn't invest the money in any other country. That's the strongest vote of confidence I can give you." Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um... 
And, uh, but, and within the, I, I know Iskar is not a traditional tech company, but he did actually just make an investment in RayQ, which is a more traditional technology type of company. And, uh, but also infrastructure. And I uh, think that that's, uh, it's also for one of his subsidiary companies, one of the portfolio companies of Berkshire. But I guess, uh, Buffett kind of termed Israel as the number two place that he looks for investments outside of the U.S., which uh, which is particularly interesting given the size of the domestic economy in in Israel. Um, and you mentioned Iskar. I mean, Iskar has to go ahead and export to so many companies, as do so many Israeli startups that they either have to go to the U.S., they have to go to Europe and the like because the domestic market is too small. How much does that you know, does that play into things? Yeah, um, uh, the, well, I'm not not sure I understand the question. Um, I mean, well, I just think the that, uh, uh, just the just the fact that they any entrepreneur building a company in Israel has to immediately think globally, and they have to think, okay, we're going to build a company, but we're immediately going to have to go somewhere else with it. Kind of, you know, I, I I'm just kind of thinking that there's a parallel between. Uh, many of these scientists who are looking to do research and development, they're, they have to go elsewhere. And uh, does that? I, I don't know if that's a that's a catalyst or a hindrance or long term that that's a, a big challenge for the Israel tech economy. Well, I think that you know the the whole proposition of Israel's of Israeli manufacturing and um, and and the tech economy has always been abroad because um, because the local market. Uh, the local market is not big enough to support, um, you know, a major a major company. Um, it's you know be you know it's all small time if you're just dependent on the local market. And the neighboring countries either don't have relations with Israel or or don't have the you know their their economies aren't in a place where they can they are uh, be uh, you know high volume purchase you know. Purchases of Israeli uh, technology. It's also, uh, you know, you you mentioned uh, uh, Warren Buffett. It's also uh, uh, worthwhile mentioning that uh, Asia's richest man, Li uh, Kaixing, um, owns a massive. Uh, who owns uh, a a conglomerate called Hutchinson Wampoa. Um, his personal um, investment arm, um, which has you know investments around the world, um, Israel is the is the largest has the largest number of investments, uh, largest number of startups, and he was actually um, involved. He was a major investor in Waze, and uh, I think he was also a major investor in the company that uh, Facebook just purchased. Um, but it's also they. You know, if you have Warren Buffett uh, in the U.S. and you have um, Li Kaixing uh, in, uh, you know, uh, in China and Hong Kong. Yeah, truly amazing. Well, Josh Mitnick, uh, correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor, the Wall Street Journal, and the Jewish Week. I urge you to read him. He very insightful uh, articles on Israel and the Israeli scene. Thank you for joining us here on Tech Talk, and thanks for going over time with us. Thanks a lot. This is Tech Talk, sponsored by Adorama Camera, Adorama.com. And uh, I, a note uh, following up on last week, uh, I 
we did a we did a segment on the book uh, with regard to the life of uh, Danny Lewin, the founder of Akamai Technologies, and uh, I think it was we didn't flesh out enough. It probably could have we certainly certainly could have done a full hour on Danny Lewin, and the book is no better time. But I wanted to explain something that uh, was pointed out to me wasn't explained well as why Danny Lewin was the first victim of 9/11 of the September 11th attacks. And uh, Danny was seated in, I think, seat 9B on flight 11. Uh, that was uh, going from Boston to Los Angeles. And uh, that was the first plane that was hijacked. And he was, uh, from what we understand from the 9-11 Commission reports and, and, and the like, that he uh, apparently tried to subdue the hijackers as they were trying to take over the plane, little did he know that seated behind him were several of the terrorists at the same time. And it, it does seem from reports of the flight attendants who were on the phone, who managed to make phone calls, that he was uh, actually killed uh, almost immediately after he tried to intervene. And for those who know him, and if uh, and I, again, uh, not just because the we interviewed the author on the show, but actually it's a really fantastic and inspiring book in so many ways, not just uh, not just with regard to technology, um, not just with regard to Israel, not just with regard to startups and a, and a great biography, but it really has so many of the elements of, of inspiration as far as a, uh, a, a person who really made the most of, of a short, unfortunately, tragically uh, life that was cut short. Anybody who knows, who read about Danny Lewin could certainly imagine that there was no way that he was going to sit there, literally sit there, while the plane was being taken over and uh, certainly uh, probably acted immediately. And I guess that distinction, it's kind of uh, fitting to a certain degree. Um, maybe fitting is the wrong word, but I'll take some poetic license out there with it, that uh, a guy like Danny Lewin was uh, a, a former... Uh, commando with Sayyarat Makal was the first person uh, killed on 9-11 and because he was a doing what he basically did every day which was not sit back and take life by the reins and really just try and squeeze every moment out uh, whether it be for business, whether it be for his family, whether it be for uh, science which he was incredibly motivated by science and math and computer science. Uh, just an incredible life. So I'll urge you again to read this book, No Better Time. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic read, and, and you can listen to the interview from last week with Molly Knight Raskin, who is the author. Uh, I urge you to do so. And this is a Tech Talk sponsored by Adorama Camera, adorama.com. We're going to be finishing up a little bit early this week. Uh, we're going to... Uh, Going ahead, and uh, I know I'm getting the, the eye of, from the control booth saying finishing early. That's something that Michael Fragan has never done before. Uh, usually we, we kind of roll a couple minutes late, but due to uh, – so we're going to call an audible for uh, – as we, we do every so – you know, have to do every so often. We've got to roll with the punches, uh, and we had a quick cancellation at the end. So we're going to go to the fabulous music uh, stream Uh and I want to tell, urge everybody to continue listening on the stream, NahumSiegel.com, jmtheam.org, and we will speak to you next week.